Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Okay, a very warm welcome to this immersive audio panel discussion, a collaboration between Focusrite Pro and the Headliner Group. My name's Colby Ramsey. I'm the group editor at Headliner, and joining me is Deputy Editor Alice Gustafsson. Our lovely guests on the panel today are Dave Way. He's a four-time Grammy-winning producer and recording engineer who's worked with the likes of Michael Jackson, Spice Girls, Beck, Eric Clapton, Neil Young, Paul McCartney, Mick Jagger, Gwen Stefani, the list goes on. Also with us today is Grammy-nominated recording engineer Steve Jenwick, whose credits include records for Leanne Rhymes, Bob Dylan, Mary J. Blige, Elton John, and many more. Our next guest is Anna Monty, a sound designer with a focus on immersive audio and virtual reality, and who is a member of the Abbey Road Spatial Audio Forum. And finally, we have Anastasia Devana, who is an expert in immersive audio and also a member of the Abbey Road Spatial Audio Forum. It's a pleasure to be chatting to you all today about a topic that's very much at the forefront of the audio industry at the moment, guys. In just a few short years, Dolby Atmos playback has evolved from select high-end theatres all the way to popular consumer electronics, home theatre systems, video games, and soon cars. But mixing Dolby Atmos for music didn't come with an instruction manual, obviously. It was something that that engineers had to learn and sound designers had to learn along the road. So for our listeners that aren't aware and to sort of kick us off, would anyone like to explain what immersive audio is, specifically what Dolby Atmos brings to a music mix and how it kind of heightens the, the listening experience and, and really immerses the listener? I like to say it's, it's surround sound that actually works. You know, I, I always knew about Dolby Atmos in, in film, you know, for film and stuff like that. And then when they asked us to start mixing music in Atmos, it was kind of like, okay, well, this could be kind of fun. Um, then I got into it and I realized what the system could actually do and, and how object-based mixing was so much different than channel-based and, and how this, the system was scalable and all that kind of stuff. So it really opened up huge possibilities in what we could do with music and how we could, you know, how we could use the system to, to literally immerse the listener inside of the song. Um, you know, there's always fun stuff you can do too, but, but it was, it was more about, uh, it's just, to me, it's a more compelling way to, to suck you in kind of. Yeah. And I think, I think most of you guys would kind of agree with, with that statement. Do you guys think it was inevitable that the Atmos and, and other immersive formats found their way to the, to the music world, you know, obviously started in, in cinema, but was it always going to go into the music, into the music world as well? Do you think? I don't know. How, how do you, any idea how, how that, transition started steve you were probably closer to the nexus there than than any of us but i don't know if it was inevitable whoever 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 saw the light bulb uh was we have to thank because it you know it is a natural um and i think having been through some of the earlier versions of of surround sound when you when you really do you know get to sit in front of an Atmos mix, a great Atmos mix, it's just a reaction. You know, I'm I'm kind of a field guy. You know, us engineers kind of tend to fall somewhere on the spectrum between feel and you know technically uh, minded. I'm definitely more of the the feel and less technical kind of guy. And all I can tell you is the, the first time first time I heard Atmos, I knew that this was different and what the first time I mixed in Atmos, I could see that this was, you know, this was not 5.1. This was a, a some, something that had so much potential for uh, different approaches and, and uh, different ways of, of representing the music and the room and the space. So um, I, I, I'm not sure how, how inevitable it was, but I'm glad that it came to be definitely a, a game changer absolutely yeah. and from the rest of you watching it did you um think the same thing even if you weren't directly involved with um Dolby Atmos as a format did you ever were you ever tracking the development of it and thinking that it was interesting to see where it could go I I come from sort of the the other way there's like two paths that lead to this like immersive audio or spatial audio one path is the traditional sort of sound engineer, record engineer, you know, or you have surround and you go to Dolby Atmos. <laughs> it's like that meme with the brain getting bigger and, <laughs> and more evolved. And the other path is coming from the interactive and the game engine stuff. And because that's all 
you know, object-based audio. So like we've been already doing that, uh, but we're just now adding uh, kind of binauralization, like plug into it to, to actually make it sound like it's all around, you know, all around you, ab- behind and above and all that stuff. Um, so, so yeah, to me, I think <laughs> it felt like it had to go that way. I mean, it's good that Dolby is going there. I know that uh, at least my, you know, I have a couple of shorter experiences with Dolby Atmos and I was actually excited when they said they were doing the headphones thing, um, kind of more towards that headphone-based, like interactive support. Um, but I think now maybe they're not doing that. <laughs> but yeah, I would love to see that more crossover, I guess, between speaker-based, um, you know, formats and headphone formats. They're still going after the headphones. We're constantly having meetings about mm. it. <laughs> so really? It's still in the forefront, yeah. What can you tell us about that or is it all secret yeah. at the moment? It's definitely something that is, you know, especially with music and the way people consume music, you know, I think we're not unaware that a lot of people are going to consume this in headphones. So so it's definitely something that, that we keep on the forefront of, you know, don't forget that this has to be sound good and binaural also. You know, and, and Dolby is obviously always trying to make it better. And every time they do something new, it makes it better. So, mm. you know, it's it's the one thing I can say where they're they're progressing very quickly on stuff. A, a recent development there, Steve, would be Apple Music adding Dolby Atmos to their lossless audio capabilities. So, I mean, that's a direct knock-on onto the consumer space, isn't it? You know, headphones are going to be able to automatically play Dolby Atmos music when you put your Apple Music in, which is a sort of step in the right direction. So uh, a pioneering engineer who's been mixing immersive audio since the very beginning is Steve, of course, who was tasked with upmixing a lot of UMG and Capital's back catalogue into an immersive format and has spent the past few years mixing hundreds of songs in Atmos. So can you tell us a little bit about getting started with upmixing this huge back catalogue and where did you even start? (laughs) Well, I had the, uh, basically it was, the UM, UMG came to us at, at Capital. Capital Studios is part of UMG. We're in the building. And they came to us and said, you guys got to build a Dolby Atmos room. And we said, why would we want to do that? And they said, just build it. We're going to mix music. So, you know, we took our Studio C, our mix room, and, and retrofitted it for Atmos. And it turned out great. And once it was all done, they brought me into the room and they said, there's the room. There's Dolby Atmos. That's Kerry. He's going to teach you how to do this in one day. Here's an album. The band will be here in two weeks. So figure it out. <laughs> no basically how it went down. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so basically I had to just figure it out. You know, it was, I, I mean, I had mixed in five one. I had, you know, I've done movie scores, stuff like that. So, so, you know, surround formats were not completely foreign to me. I had done some of it before, but I had never mixed object based. I had to learn the render. Luckily when we did that pro tools had become fully integrated Atmos was integrated in Pro Tools very recently before that. So I didn't have to deal with some of that stuff. I could go dive right into Pro Tools, which was easier. Um, But then it was just me sitting in a room and trying to figure out how to make this work and how to make it musical and how to, you know, how to make sure that I was mixing a record and not a Dolby Atmos demo, if that makes sense. And trying to figure out how to, how to make reverb work and how to, you know, how to get what we do as music mixers into this immersive format. Cause it's a little bit different than, than mixing a film. You know, you have a, you know, when you're mixing a film, you have a different master, you have a story, you have a screen. You don't want to be distracted from that story when you're mixing in, when you're mixing music only, you know, we don't have that screen. And, and, you know, they said, look, you've got all these 20 speakers in this room and they're all full range. You can put anything anywhere. So I did. Well, it sounds like you adapted to it quite well then. It sounds like quite an intimidating task. You know, I won't say those first mixes were great, but <laughs> but people, when they would come in and listen, they'd be like, oh, yeah. You know, and, and very quickly I realized, like, this could really work. This could be really fun. And it was. I, I have yet to have somebody come in and go, ah, I hate this. Can you remember what the first one was that you did, the first song or the first sort of track that you tackled? Yeah, the, the album was, it was an REM album, Automatic for the People. Okay. And and actually, when the band came in, so I mixed the album, and then the producer came in, Scott Litt, and we were going to start 
tweaking it and stuff for the band to come in a little bit later. And it became very obvious. It became obvious very quickly that his vision of what the record should sound like and my vision of what the record should sound like were not kind of jiving. So it's not my record. It's their record. So basically it was just like, look, just use this as a base, scrap everything I did. Just you guys do it. So the record that's actually out is not exactly the first record that I did. It's a variation of that. But again, it's their record. It's, it's very good. I, I mean, what they did was fantastic, but it was a little bit different than what I had done. Um, but again, it's not my record. Their record, so they get to do whatever they want. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And when did you actually start this process, Steve, just so we can get a kind of concept? I think it was about track. five years ago. Have you been steadily working on these immersive tracks sort of since then? Yeah, I've done, personally, I've done a couple hundred tracks. Um, I mean, you know, very quickly we had, you know, all our mixers at Capital up and running. So there's five of us at Capital that mix, six of us at Capital that mix. The guys at Abbey Road, there's our studio in Nashville. So we've got about 10 or 12 mixers that are constantly doing it. it you know, there's been times where it's, the work has dipped a little bit, but for the most part, we're keeping a couple rooms running all the time, which is great. You know, at Universal, it's, it's wonderful. We have this huge back catalog of stuff that's fun to dive into. Um, but believe it or not, actually, the most fun for me is doing the new records you know, when, when I can do something new, um, the catalog records are terribly difficult to do because you got to get old multi-tracks and your matching mixes and all that kind of stuff. The, the new records are a little bit more fun. You know, now, you know, everybody complains we get these songs with hundreds of tracks in them. Well, it's like, well, now we have a place to put all those tracks. So mm-hmm. much easier. That's very true. Yeah. What are some of the most recent yeah. ones you've been doing? If you're allowed to say, if not, that's fine. Don't want to get you in trouble. Uh, yeah, actually the one I'm doing right now is a record that doesn't officially exist. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of what's come out recently that I've done. That's been really good. I did the new Sean Mendez record last year. Um, oh. did, uh, see now you're putting me on the spot and I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> that was a bit unfair. Tony, Tony Bennett, Lady Gaga record. I don't know if that's out yet. Yeah. I know it's been announced, but I did the Atmos version of that. Yeah. All, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, been pretty busy now with Apple coming on board. Hopefully we'll get a lot busier. Yeah, um, it's inevitable, really. It seems like it. And um, so I think you touched on this already. You've installed a makeshift Atmos mixing setup in your living room during the pandemic, of course, as many people have adapted to the home studio kind of setup yeah. to get the songs uh, 90% mixed before finishing them at Capital. So what was it like doing this at home? You know, what does your setup look like? How have you been dealing with all this? Yeah, when the pen, when lockdown hit, you know, I, we packed up capital and I just threw as much stuff onto hard drives and all my equipment into the car and came home and, and my wife being gracious as she is said, you know what, you're going to be here for a while. So, you know, why don't you just set up in the living room? So we moved the furniture out of the living room and I set up a Dolby Atmos system in here. At first it was a seven, one system, um, with using the Dolby Atmos bridge. Um, and then I expanded it to put some, some, a couple speakers over my head um i think because i had been mixing so long and had done so many mixes already it was a pretty easy transition um even though the listening environment wasn't perfect i kind of knew what stuff was going to do and i you know i had my routing and my templates and all that stuff all together already so it was actually a pretty smooth transition for me um and you know it kept me working for a year and a half in lockdown you know and and I was very happy when I got the opportunity to actually go to a studio and listen to what I had done at the house. I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. So, yeah, I can get about I get about 90 percent here. And then, you know, nothing gets released or turned in before I can go to a, a real room and listen to it. But at that point, it's it's small tweaks. You know, it's it's been really great. It's been nice, you know, nice working at home and not commuting and that kind of stuff. So. And my family might have a different opinion about some of the records I've done, but as your wife don't want to get the get the furniture back in there yet, Steve. Well, it's the great. Christmas tree goes right there, so we'll see what happens later in the year. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah. good you've been able to carry on during the pandemic. I hope that's, that's the fantastic. case for all of you as well. It's it's a very difficult time, isn't it? So that's fantastic to know. That's great. Now, um, obviously, more and more listening platforms uh, have adopted. Dolby Atmos playback and many engineers have installed mixing rooms 
and and done a lot of that kind of stuff, including yourself, Dave. You upgraded your studio with Atmos mixing capabilities last summer, and you've obviously worked alongside Steve to to learn the format, take things a step further with it, do a little bit of experimenting with it, um, with recording and producing music from the very beginning, specifically mixed in Atmos. When getting started with something like this, Dave, what what was kind of like the biggest learning curve for you? You know, obviously you've got a lot of experience anyway, but what was the kind of the, the the main thing that you had to consider that you had to really kind of get your head around before you could before you could do this stuff. Well, Steve was a big big help, and and uh, I think I've thanked you, Steve. But we haven't we haven't gotten to the Dodger game yet. But but uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, no, knowing there and, and there's there's a pretty steep learning curve technically with the, with the renderer and 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 you know the, the communication between uh you know pro tools and and uh and just getting your your room set up um so uh, dolby and steve were were both really helpful for me to to kind of get there quicker and and avoid some you know some uh some holes in the road uh but um but, you know then then once i got kind of comfortable with the with the workflow and and having seen Steve, the first mix I did was this uh, Hawaiian album that basically was like a jazz record where every, it was all recorded live and, uh, you know, like kind of band was set in, in a circle and, and uh, no headphones and very little overdubs. And so um, it was a good one to start with. And, and basically steve I, I i had done the stereo mix and i and and sat with steve kind of told him where i envisioned everybody placed and and uh and then he kind of walked me through his template which is very you know he had had for for years at that point so it was very dialed in and that kind of opened my eyes as to how he thinks about it like just kind of seeing it laid out uh helped me understand how he, how he kind of routed things and and some of the um translation issues that he had worked out already that I got to just jump right on board with um but so w- w- once I start once I saw him kind of uh help us through this this first mix and because like I said it was a simple one not a lot of movement going on everything was pretty static it it you know really opened my eyes got me comfortable with how things can sound and then i the next project i got into was a bit different where it was a lot of overdubs a lot of layers a lot of ear candy a lot of things moving around and uh you know there were you know the the thing about atmos is uh, you can you can do whatever you want with it and really is the wild west as far as where you want to put things. And what I've found going between these kind of two styles on on my first two projects was that certain things work better for certain kinds of music and, and other things don't, you know? So, um, the rock band, the second project was like a rock band kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it did kind of find that, the the drum you know i had these ideas of having you know the drums being in different parts of the room for different sections of the song and stuff and 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 some of that worked but some some of it didn't uh having you know having the drummer move around um was 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 more distracting i found than than uh than you know cool once I figured out where the lines were and and maybe some of the some of the extreme more extreme things that I had in mind that maybe weren't quite as uh as you know um uh practical mm. uh I, you know and I and I keep experimenting you know that's one of the things and different different kinds of music kind of let you experiment different ways you know uh, very often you're experimenting with the vocal and where the vocal is because that's usually the star of the show and uh you know having it up front you know oftentimes it's just it's just boring and you're trying to you know you're trying to get a little more of a uh, of a of a you know a novel kind of you know using the space kind of approach to it 
So that's usually the first place to go. But then, you know, and then the, then the music kind of finds its, uh, its uh, place after that, you know. I, I'm continually excited about what, you know, what the possibilities are with this kind of music. You know, some are meant to be more natural. Some are meant to be with, you know, I, I just did uh, the UEFA uh, uh, opening ceremony for the, for the soccer tournament last weekend. And it was, you know, uh, Marshmallow, uh, who, you know, did a medley and the, the visuals for it were just absolutely surreal. You know, you got this guy with a marshmallow for a head and he, it's all CGI stuff all over the world and, and oceans in the middle of the stadium and, and stuff like this. And so it really lent itself to a surreal, to, even though we're trying to give you the sense that it's in a stadium. Um, it was, you know, there was two sides to it. There was the grounded stadium aspect of it, but then this surreal, you know, weird things can happen at any moment. So that, that's, you know, that kind of stuff is fun. And every, every project is different. You react to it differently. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. It sounds like you have been having a lot of fun with it though, Dave. Um, as much of a, as much of a steep learning curve it is, as you say, it must be nice um, that you kind of get fresh, fresh work and fresh challenges all the time, especially working in different genres of music and stuff. So that's that's really interesting. Now, this is a question for both Steve and Dave, because I know you've both been using Focusrite gear in combination with Dante networking for your immersive audio work. Firstly, what pieces of gear from Focusrite are you using? Are you using Rednet boxes? And could you briefly give us an idea of what your setup looks like and kind of explain for our listeners what job the focus right gear does within your signal chain so i'll start at, at capital we use we use a lot of focus right stuff because we're moving the setups at capital we're moving between three computers so we have a playback computer and a what we call a print computer and a and then the renderer so we're using focus right hardware and dante to to move audio between those three computers constantly um couldn't tell you the hardware off the top of my head. I don't remember <laughs> the exact numbers, but um, we also use, you know, we've used their RedNet stuff to move. You know, I did a, not Atmos, but I did a uh, a video series, Top of the Tower, where we put bands on the roof of the Capitol building and we had Focusrite boxes up there and we would use RedNet to put the audio down into the studio so I could mix it. So we've been using their stuff for many years. Um, when I put the studio in here at the house. I, I had a studio at the house just for stereo for, for many years. And I was using uh, UA Apollo, uh, an Apollo interface, which was great. I loved it. Um, but it's only eight outputs. So when I wanted to expand the Atmos system here, um, you know, I naturally went to Focusrite because I have a relationship with them and I've used this stuff and, and it was great. And I ended up with a 16 line and the, the R1 remote. And um, I couldn't be happier. It's it's great. It's so easy to set up and use. It sounds great. It just it has all the features that I needed it to to use. You know, it's very simple. I can I can easily switch between stereo and Atmos, and you know, I have video game stuff I do in seven one, and it's it's literally been seamless between all those formats. Um, so I've been really really happy with the Focusrite stuff, and they've been great. Every time I've had a question, you know, they're right on top of it. And, the, the R1 controller, you know, I had a beta version of it and it was like, yeah, this is, this solves that problem. Now I have, you know, I can switch speakers and headphones and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it was, it's just a very simple, elegant way to, to get it done. And it sounds really good. It was, mm. I was amazed at how good it actually sounded. Yeah. And how about yourself? Dave? <laughs> yeah. So I've got the, the red, li- red 16 line and, and, uh, then there's a couple of a 16 R's for my, uh, I have lots of, you know, outboard gear and, and stuff here. So that's basically the connection for those. And then there's a, an HD 32 R for more Dante there. Um, and then right here, we've got the R one uh, <laughs> controller and yeah, everything Steve said is exactly right. This is, you know, it's, it's seamless once it, uh, again, it takes a bit to get it all set up. And, and, and by the way, the, 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 the red net software is just fantastic. Um, cause it's just, everything's right in front of me. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, once I, once I got it all kind of, uh, dialed in, 
now it's just I don't think about it at all. I'm just I'm just pressing my monitor select uh, buttons and and you know I'm easily going back and forth between stereo and five one and 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 Atmos, uh, and then I also have a uh, a, a Dolby uh, receiver there where I, I'm streaming title and and soon very soon uh, Apple Music, and so I've got that on another switch. So when I want to go listen to something just for recreational uh, or or research, sometimes uh, you know go listen to all the stuff that's out there now. Awesome. Flip of a button. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when you're working in um, Atmos, you're dealing with huge channel counts quite often the red net stuff and the 16 line stuff to what extent does it kind of enable you to manage huge channel counts quite easily obviously streamlines that yeah well you don't have to think about it pretty much it just works all the time i can say i've never had a problem either here or at capital that wasn't you know induced by me or another person <laughs> I've, ne- I've never had a problem with the actual hardware itself you know it takes a minute to wrap your head around dante and how that works and you know, it's, you know, Dave and I come from the analog world originally where everything was a patch cable, which made sense. Yeah. You know, it went from here to here and here, here, you know, and now you're dealing with Dante where one thing goes to 10 different places and it's, you know, it can be a little daunting. Um, but luckily there's people smarter than me that know how to work that stuff. So, <laughs> but, but it's been pretty rock solid once it's set up and working. Awesome. What other sort of advantages does it bring to your workflow when you're working with Atmos? Is it just the fact that it's seamless and it works and it's easy to use? And sounds great. That's that's always number one on, you know, I don't want to use anything that's, you know, convenient but doesn't doesn't deliver on the sound. So that's of utmost importance. But you have a need and the you know, the guys at Focus Right have obviously thought these boxes out very well and, and they they understand what the needs of the end users are and they've you know they've gone through and figured a lot of this out it takes uh, you know the the guy who helps me set up my my gear in my studio uh has been telling me about dante and focus right for for years and uh when it came time to to build this atmos room i actually i knew i was like okay we're finally going to get the dante and and the focus rights in here because we're going to be doing an atmos thing he's like are you going to love it once we got through the the setup thing and he he really helped set it up for me uh i'm lucky that uh you know i have someone like that but you know it's more a matter of just getting used to like steve said you know the the possibilities of dante and thinking uh, outside of what our our normal uh idea of signal path and signal flow is so um but once once it's dialed in, I don't I don't think about it anymore. It's really I'm just I press a button when I need what I need. So uh, until I need something else, uh, you know, that's when I'll have to go back in and, and reroute something. But uh, right now, it's all plug and play. And I guess this is a question sort of for all of you, really. Do you think that more artists will embrace creating music in immersive audio formats going forward? And also, will the audiences embrace it? Uh, in my last job, I used to work at Magic Leap, which is a, this tech company makes, you know, augmented reality uh, hardware and platform. So we had, um, you know, and I was experimenting with, with like immersive audio using object based, like, you know, but using basically a game engine. So I, um, one of my tracks that I wrote, composed, I basically like, oh, what if I put these stems over here and these things over there and then oh maybe have it move around a little bit it's like oh that's cool like I, th- I think like they were saying you know you or maybe steve said that like you hear then it's oh it's different right to me it's like it's like between going from mono to stereo then you're going from stereo to this full spatial audio to me was that difference um and then we had um you know uh this music producer quite famous guy um, come in, you know, to see the technology and everything. And I'm showing this to him, like, oh, check this out. You know, this is like going from mono to stereo. <laughs> and he was like, eh. <laughs> like, <laughs> people listen to music on their phone speaker. Like, they're not going to care. <laughs> and he crushed my dreams of uh, <laughs> sp- spatial music. I got to say, I have, you know, I've had uh, clients, you know, who come and listen to something that I'm, I'm mixing for them. But then also whenever I can, if I have, you know, I have musicians here 
uh, we're tracking something and friends over who are in the music industry and stuff. And I'm excited to play things for people who have never heard anything in Atmos. And I have to say across the board, every reaction has been, wow. You know, it just, you can, I, I love to watch the first moment I usually start with the Elton John uh, Rocket Man song, you know, particularly if it's somebody of an older generation. But, you know, they're sitting here and then, you know, the chorus comes in and I can see the goosebumps raising on their arms and they, they turn around like this and they, they smile and it's, it's a, a feeling. Uh, and then I've got, you know, I've got a playlist of six or seven songs that I know I'm, I'm getting, you know, because like anything, you got to have a great mix and a great song to get people excited about it, you know. So, uh, and a lot of times, the music you're playing, even if it is an Atmos and it sounds amazing and in the spatial uh, um, uh, side of things, if if it's if the music's not really connecting with them, there, you know, the the connection's not going to be as strong. So, um, but I've 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 found different styles of music with different approaches to uh atmos and different ways of, of you know different styles of music and uh, you know after six or seven songs i have not had one person who's been eh, you know I, it's like everybody's like how can get i get it. this what do i got to do what do i what do i how do i do this at my house how do i start mixing in atmos you know well, how much does it cost <laughs> you know so um that to me I, you know, I, I'd already made the jump and, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in the format, but I'm telling you, I just in the, you know, seven or eight months that I've been doing this, the momentum and the, the awareness has grown, you know, measurably that I can, that I can tell. And, and I get excited more and more excited about it every, you know, every month. Everybody is very skeptical about it until you play them something. Right. As soon as, yeah. as soon as you play it for, you know, and I tell people I can that and, and how does it work? And you sit down and you try to explain at most of the people and you go, no, just hit play. You hit play and 45 seconds later, they go, ah, now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you play for them, Steve, to convince them? Usually Rocket Man is the first, is always the, oh, really? the starter. You yeah, it's, it's, it's been that way. It's, it's a song everybody knows. It's a great mix that Greg Penny did, but it's a song that starts very much in the front. And then yeah. when that chorus hits and everything hits you from the side, you know, people, I've, right. I've literally seen people burst into tears. When the right. chorus right. Happens. Yeah. yeah. Because it, it does, it's like, you're familiar and it, you know, you maybe sense a little bit of stuff or, around you for that first, you know, for when it's just piano and vocal. And then when it gets to that chorus, it's just somebody took the curtain off and, and, you know, exposed this beautiful oasis of, you know, uh, beauty. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a great one to start with. And, but and, and it's funny to think that, you know, that was recorded on eight track, you know, 50 <laughs> years ago. Absolutely. And but it's, it's just the song you can tell was written with this idea of space involved. It's you know, it's about outer space and rockets flying by. And so it's kind of composed with that um, in mind, even if they were still dealing with a, a mono world or stereo at the time, you know, so. Um, you know, I, I would love to know what Elton's reaction was to that and, and Bernie's reaction to that the first time they heard it. So you've not, you've not heard anything from Elton officially and what he thinks of it. <laughs> I have to ask Greg. I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> that would be something to know what he thinks. I have not. Cool. I've never had an artist that didn't like what they were hearing. Mm. I've never had an artist say, no, I don't like. I've had an artist say, can you change this? But, but right. nine times out of ten, it's this is great. How do I get my new album this way? Stuff like yeah. that. Absolutely. I, I had a, I had a client say, it's like you're swimming and the water is music. Oh, <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good analogy. Yeah. Very poetic. <laughs> I think that brings us on quite nicely then to, you know, how can audiences effectively experience this in the way that is intended by the creators, by guys like you. You know, you can stream Dolby Atmos Music on Tidal, Amazon Echo Studio, and we touched on earlier Apple Music soon. So what what do they need to be able to hear this? Is this over headphones? Can, do they need specific speaker setup? Do they need a soundbar? What can you tell us about that? Yes. 
All of the above. above. All of the above, yes. <laughs> Look around the room. Maybe so, it's yeah. confusing for the consumer, though. What do you think about that? I think in this, what I tell people is in the same way as in stereo, your, your experience is going to be different depending on what you're listening on. If you're listening to stereo and you're listening on your little Apple earbuds, it's going to sound pretty good. But if you take that same song and listen to it on $60,000 PMC speakers at Capitol Studios, it's going to sound a lot better. Mm -hmm. So, And everything in between. So if you have a better playback system in stereo, you're going to get a different experience with the music. The same is true with Atmos. If, you know, the, the experience on the, on the uh, Amazon Echo Studio is much different than it is on the Sonos soundbar, which is different than it is on a playback system with speakers, which is different to the binaural experience. Um, but they all work and they're all compelling in their own way. Um, I think we're still in the infancy of this, obviously. Um, you know, it's, I've heard the car, you know, Dolby has a car that they in, installed it in. It sounds great. So I think that, you know, we're moving forward very quickly in the consumer market. Um, hopefully this will be driven also by, you know, we've also got home theater. So they're doing movies and Netflix and all that kind of stuff. And I think once people realize that they can experience a movie in a different way in their living room, you know, it's all going to drive the same thing. And now video games is the same thing. You know, if we can, not if we can get the video games, if we can get the music people <laughs> to follow where the video games and the movies are going, which it looks like we're doing, mm. you know, I think all these different, different things are going to, are going to help feed the consumer market. Seems like that's coming on leaps and bounds as well with the kinds of products that are being released yeah. over the years to allow um, everyone to hear what they should be hearing essentially. So that's great. Um, so I have a question, I guess this is for all of you. What do you love about working in a massive audio and um maybe each of you can remember the first thing you heard or experienced in a massive audio it could be something yourself had worked on and you finished you know you heard the final thing uh, i'll just be curious to hear about your experiences with that i think for me the coolest thing about immersive audio is how you changed the pov you're not outside anymore you're in the story you're in the music if you will and my my first experience was actually a very uh old experience which i don't know if uh, if you guys have heard the virtual barber shop like this binaural you've never heard that it's on youtube still i think it was being sent around on phones on blue it was being it was a, it was a bluetooth file <laughs> okay on that's a new thing i know the youtube version <laughs> you know, and you know? <laughs> it's yeah. really really cool and and they just used a perfect story to show how binaural can work but they they used a, a binaural dummy head and the story is you're going into a barber shop and you're getting a haircut and you have this feeling that someone really is approaching you with scissors and someone is coming in and out of the room. It's really well done. And it tries to murder you. <laughs> Spoiler yeah. alert. Oh, no way. It's gone a bit Sweeney Todd. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much it's like binaural Sweeney Todd. But that was a really mind blowing experience for me. And the video is really old, isn't it? It's 90s, the nineties, like, yeah, like the yeah, video. I think the... it was done before then. Yeah, yeah. it was recorded before then. Yeah. It was recorded a long time ago, and that was first time that I heard it. Was um, yeah, I think while I was in in, um, in, in at university studying film uh, sound production, and I heard that, and that just blew my mind. I knew I wanted to do something that had to do with binaural. And uh, that's why when I went to film school, I decided, okay, I want to do something along those lines. I'm going to write my diploma thesis and do a production that's strictly for headphones. And yeah, it was really funny because back then my advisor said, we're in a film school. Why do you want to do stuff for headphones? That makes no sense. <laughs> like we're here, you have an amazing uh, 5.1 system. Why are you focusing on headphones? And that was back in, yeah, 2010. <laughs> And uh, yeah, now we have the experience of a lot of things being consumed with headphones. And, and actually, for me, it's super interesting, not only from a music aspect, but obviously for movies that people are consuming on their way to work, on their cell phones, they're, they're listening to things on their tablets. So it's also from a movie perspective, really um, important that we have good binaural mixes for video also. So that was, yeah, that was definitely a good experience I had with the virtual barber shop. I don't know if it's still online. I need to see check this. Check it out. Yeah, it's really yeah. good. It's really good. Yeah. What about you, Anastasia? 
I, I mean, I want to, I think it's the same actually. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I actually got a project, um, my first project doing spatial audio. Uh, it was 2015. That's when kind of like the VR started making resurgence, the Google Cardboard and Oculus, DK1, DK2. Um, so my background is in programming and music composition. And I met somebody at, at the Unity workshop thing. And and he was like, oh, we, we're making a VR project. You want to do sound for it? <laughs> like, yeah, easy. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, what's this VR sound? How do you do it? Oh, you're supposed to do spatial audio somehow. And then I kind of started research, researching it. And I think that was the, the first video that came across. Yeah, and I remember because it opens you know, the first thing you hear is this door opening, like a little doorbell. And, and like, it sounded like it was in my room. Like I took my headphones off, like, what the hell? You There's need no to close door. your eyes when you listen There's to the no experience. Door there. <laughs> I think my eyes were open, but it was like, a, I could swear that the freaking door was open in my room, uh, <laughs> which doesn't exist there. Um, but yeah, so of course that's binaural recording, which is, you know, usually works quite well and quite visceral what you know and what i've been trying to do since then is to recreate that effect using algorithms mm. uh, which is just not quite right uh, but we're getting there um but yeah it, it, just to clarify i don't think spatial anything is eh. <laughs> this is just my yeah. <laughs> funny story about how like i did not expect the music producer to not get it uh, <laughs> but <laughs> Um, yeah, did that answer the question? I forgot what the question was. <laughs> no, no, you did. It's kind of like your first experience of something immersive, perhaps something you did or something that you heard. What about um, Dave and Steve? You know, is there something you heard first, some kind of demo? We've all seen the Dolby Atmos it, demos for cinema, haven't Rocket we? Man. It wasn't Rocket Man by any chance, was it? Because yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah. the Rocket Man had been done before I got into this. Right. But there, there was a 5.1 version he did that kind of got ported into Atmos originally. But mm. Um, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, we were doing five, one records for a while, you know, we started that 20 years ago. So, so the surround sound thing was not foreign to me. It was just, you know, this made it bigger and better. Mm. So, yeah. Um, but once I got in, once we got the Atmos system installed, then it was, you know, some of the Dolby demos and stuff like that, which were cool, but those were demos you know it was it was look at how many speakers i have kind of demos yeah. um then the trick was to take that technology and actually make music out of it so. <laughs> it's a challenge yeah now um this is a question for anna and anastasia you're both members of the abbey road spatial audio forum which sounds quite prestigious tell us about what that involves being a member of the forum and uh the kind of initiatives that that you're involved with there. And it was uh, basically uh, founded in 2017 by Merrick Styles. I don't know if any of you guys know Merrick. Yeah. He's the head of audio products at um, Abbey Road. And he basically decided to bring together a bunch of audio nerds from completely different areas, artists, producers, engineers, and also from um, the academics world and kind of get us all talking to each other which uh, apparently doesn't happen very often um, that the researchers talk to the, to the people that are actually doing the content and vice versa. And also people from different areas like music and VR and, and film. And basically we just uh, try to meet regularly when there isn't a world pandemic and uh, kind of exchange ideas on, yeah, from research all the way to practical stuff that we've done and, um, experimented and try to find new creative approaches to using immersive audio. Right, okay. Anastasia? Did I say that? Yeah, one? no, that's I, yeah, it's great. I don't have anything to add. <laughs> Gotta make Mirik uh, proud. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Mirik. <laughs> yeah. um, and Anna, you, um, I know you don't work much in Dolby Atmos, but obviously you've mentioned ambisonics and binaural stuff and object-based mixing within game engines like Unity. Tell us about Ambisonics and the binaural mixing and your object-based work that you're doing there and kind of how it differs to, to other immersive formats. So now you're totally putting me on the spot. Yeah. Ambisonics <laughs> is a highly complex yeah, <laughs> theme. It is. I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll try to, um, yeah. Anastasia, jump in, please, if I say any, anything wrong. But 
The difference is basically that um, you're not with Ambisonics, you're not dealing with object-based or with channel-based. It's a sound sphere. You're trying to reproduce a sound sphere. So actually that's a perfect format and, and that's why it's been used for VR because in VR in 360 degree video, you want a sound sphere around you because you're you're able to look to every direction and you have the head tracking so you can rotate the sound field so um basically you're just um it's kind of like a extension to a ms kind of like the 3d version is that right anastasia kind of that you're adding so. the height like kind of yeah kind you just of. keep adding medicines more meds and more science yeah <laughs> so you're not like unlike 5.1 and 7.1 like you don't have information within the signal that says like which speaker signals you have to decode it into whichever format so there's a lot of flexibility um i personally don't think it's um a good format for cinema i think dolby atmos is definitely better like object-based and channel-based but for 360 degrees and for you um vr it's a perfect format because you're describing a sphere and that's exactly what you want you want to be in the middle of that sphere and you have um everything surrounding you and you want the sound field to be able to rotate yes yeah and you mentioned you've done a lot of you know it lends itself well to to vr because of the, the the bubble that you're trying to create um but you've done sound design for for films games full dome and kind of VR experiences that all use immersive audio out of those, Anna, um, which has been the most challenging to, to apply ambisonics to, um, I mean, VR, as you've just mentioned, is kind of a natural fit, but yeah, is there, has there been any like, you know, some interesting challenges that you've had to work around applying this to, to certain formats? I think the thing with ambisonics is that um, you get, better resolution of the audio if you have more channels like if you have a higher order of ambisonics and if you're recording things with the mics that are out there they're very low still i mean you you start off with four microphone capsules so that's already a lot for a recorder and you keep going up and i think um faking it in the pose is also not the best way if you have like higher order ambisonics so for something like a full dome, which you would think is perfect since it's a sphere and then you can decode it to that sphere. Um, we've seen that actually it doesn't work that well, um, but we try to, to use a combination of, okay, maybe do an ambisonics bed and on top of that add mono sources. Um, we've done that for, for full dome. And for gaming is also um, a matter of space, right, Anastasia? Like if you have something with, 16 channels that's a little bit too much for a game engine and that's where you start like getting really good um, sound field resolution so for a, a first order ambisonics that's not ideal but then you're kind of dealing with computing power which for audio is not a huge problem but it's still it's a matter of i mean even between mono and stereo that's already a big difference as far as space goes correct me if i'm wrong anastasia mm. So is yeah, spatial, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. sorry, Anastasia. Um, so Anna, safe to say that spatial audio is a huge part of of what you do in terms of sound design at the moment. It's kind of at the forefront of of everything you're doing, really, right? Definitely. But um, since I came from traditional sound design, um, like for traditional films, it's definitely a completely different approach. Because like I said before, your POV has changed, your point of view. Now you're in the story, you're not watching things from out there. So you need to be careful to not overload the viewer. And as sound designers, we love to layer, 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 and more layers. And that's not the case with VR because you're trying to make something that looks and sounds realistic. And sometimes this cinematic sound design that we like to do doesn't work that well with VR because you want something that's more real kind of. Um, so the approach is very different. And, and the way that you tell a story in VR is still um, being developed. Like, how do we tell a story where the viewer now is in the story and part of the story? So sound design is kind of adapting towards that also. Like, how do I make my sound um, design complement the story and not 
distract the viewer. And um, Anastasia, I'd love to know as well. So a software engineer and you're an audio director as well. So your work advances the field of immersive spatial audio in emerging technologies and you mostly work in interactive game engines. So tell us a bit about that and your immersive work and how that works with the game engines. Sure. Uh, Well, as I mentioned um, in my last job, um, I was working as an audio director at Magic Leap. So I was part of the Magic Leap content studios, uh, which was creating content for this platform, for this new medium. And, you know, my job and the job of my team was to, you know, figure out how to, you know, how to do the sound for this. Um, you know, and it's, it's also like different. The thing is like we say immersive audio, spatial audio, but there are kind of different like approaches and different, different aspects of it that or parts of it, versions of it that don't quite yet like come together in the middle, <laughs> you know, because for, for something like Magic Leap where you're wearing the device, head, you know, head-worn device, it's see-through so I can see my room around me, but I'm also seeing virtual content in my room. And I can get really close to it. I can go around it or I can interact with it. So imagine if it's like a little dinosaur, you know, on my table. And what the challenge is, we're trying to make the sound for this dinosaur. First of all, to make it convince you that it's there, just to be spatially accurate, accurate, uh, but also to convince you that it's in your room somehow. uh, And also have it, you know, be compelling uh, and also not interfere with, you know, or not overlap too much with the sounds of your real world because it is like mixed reality. We're trying to mix the reality, the real and the virtual. So we don't want to mask the person who is next to you talking to you. So that creates just an array of challenges, you know, and, and that less is more. And we have to do a lot of the dynamic mixing, basically trying to recreate in real time with programming what the sound mixers in the film do already right because in a film it's like usually as camera say pans across something kind of what you see is mostly what you hear right you'll be panning over an old clock and you kind of hear more ticking and then it sort of goes away so you know one of the things like we had to do a lot is like using algorithms to try to recreate that to still give the user uncluttered mix that is compelling that also like underscores whatever whatever it is they're experiencing and I forgot the question again. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just curious. So, You're so okay. Now, yes. So now I'm no longer there. Um, you know, sadly, you know, I was affected by, by kind of big round of layoffs at the company. Um, so for the past year or so, I've been basically doing freelance uh, consulting. I still, you know, love this field of, you know, new technologies and spatial audio. So, you know, I've been working on, um, you know, AR projects. Um, last project that I did was new, kind of like big, big project was new technologies that did not involve specifically spatial audio, uh, but but that was um, also kind of very new, um, basically virtual theater production with the Royal Shakespeare Company, and they did um, in collaboration with Marshmallow Lazy Feast and uh, a few other partners. Basically, it was the the live theater group um uh playing you know performing a piece live uh wearing motion capture gear and portraying being portrayed on the screen as virtual characters in the virtual world um and that was loosely based on midnight summer dream and that was streamed all around the world to, to a huge audience um and so i had to figure out how to do sound for that which was a fun and interesting challenge it sounds like as well <laughs> That's actually like something that we talked about in the last forum, I think is also interesting. Like how are we going to be mixing music in the future, especially with these interactive experiences like uh, augmented reality, mixed reality. If um, we bring a band into our living room, do the acoustics match my living room or do I actually want an arena? Do I want to be able to change that around? Like that totally changes the the perspective. Um, and this whole um, NPEG H um, that the viewer can kind of choose what it wants to hear. That's also something that's a little bit difficult. And I think we're going to have to let go of our, yeah, but I did the perfect mix. And I actually want you to listen to this like this, 
because um, Merrick did a really cool um, experience with Eleanor Rigby. He got like a, a trio that is virtually in the studio one or two. And um, you can actually approach the different um, instruments and listen to things from a different perspective. So cool. in the future, or actually it's already happening, um, how do we control like what the viewer or what the, the person is experiencing? What if the person experiences Eleanor Rigby only listening to the cello or to the violin or something like how do you control them i guess that's where anastasia comes in and does the algorithm to say no you stay here the camera won't pan or yeah. something no those but, are really tricky but but you're the camera right you're walking around so. you're the camera yeah yeah your like changed so yeah makes things a little bit tricky for us yeah that does sound tricky to be fair um not an easy one to tackle but interesting i mean it's all interesting but um I'm curious to all of you as well, what is some of the most maybe, I guess, difficult piece of material you've had to mix? Could be music, game music, film music, um, that you've mixed in an immersive format because um, it must be challenging depending on which sort of genre that you're working with. I'd love to hear a bit about that. Uh, the hardest thing for me, I had to do mix two songs for the Rolling Stones to, to present to them to say, this oh. is what it is and can we do more stuff like that? And yeah, no pressure. Uh, in yeah. Their station. yeah. Well, but I realized very quickly, the Rolling Stones are not a band you want to take apart. It all mm-hmm. works together. And, and I mean this in a positive way, it all works together. And as soon as you start pulling those pieces apart, the song kind of falls apart. Um, so, you know, two guitars, bass and drums is kind of the most difficult thing to mix for me. Cause there's, you know, a, a rock band. It sounds like it's pretty straight ahead, but, but once you start pulling those pieces mm-hmm. apart, it gets really difficult. So like those two Rolling Stones songs took me like, I just kept going back to it. It took days. I kept going back like, okay, that didn't work. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, that didn't work. And, and so then it was a, a way to, how do I make, how do I keep them all together, but make it immersive at the same time? So it's quite a challenge, I must say. What was the verdict? <laughs> they, did, they did like it though. Oh, good. Mick was happy, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> the rock band thing it, it seems to be one of the tougher ones for me I, and and i think it has to do with what steve's talking about and maybe the the rolling stones are the you know the perfect example of you know it's about playing together and and having you know kind of like there's you know when i think about mono you know or just mixing in stereo when I, I'm mixing a, a rock thing, I, I tend to have particularly the drums and the bass and some of the guitars and stuff more in the middle. There's, there's, a, there's a power that happens mm-hmm. when things are combined and, and kind of in a, in a small focused zone. And then with things on the outs, you know, outside to, to complement that. Um, but the core kind of being in the middle, chugging together and, and stuff like that. And when you break it apart, the power of it goes away. And um, so like, like what I was talking about with that one rock band thing where I was going to oh, have the drums be in the front for this part of the song and then in the middle or the back for another part of the song. I realized that the, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. As soon as you start to tear these things apart, um, it, it, it falls apart. Mm. So um, there's something to be said about that. And, and uh, I, I, I found the rock band kind of thing and also i think some of it has to do with our perception of seeing a band on stage you know we're so used to being in front of a band you know and not them playing you know you don't ever go to a concert and really be in the middle of the stage but between the singer and the drummer that just doesn't happen and that would be amazing uh, yeah. would be well, it wouldn't amazing, even sound right because it's all going through amplifiers and stuff right yeah yeah as yeah. we all know the sound on stage is completely different than what comes out yeah it's garbage yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's drums you know, is what it is yeah, yeah. right yeah. <laughs> a lot of symbols uh, not a particularly pleasant sound but you know um so you know you you there's there's certain power uh uh with groupings, you know, and, and you got to kind of be aware of it and make sure that when you're, when you're tackling this, you're not tearing, you know, tearing away some of the power and some of the, the, the cohesiveness of things. Cause sometimes you, you don't want to hear everything so perfectly, you know, there's, there's a, there's a mystery that happens when you, you know, you can't tell is, is, is that the guitar playing player that, that, that rhythmic thing, or is that coming from the drums? I can't really tell, you know, 
um, as soon as you take them apart, you can hear the mistakes or the, you know, the, the, the flamming of things more easily that you, that kind of get hidden when they're more together. So something to be aware of as you're, as you're mixing. You mean not all background singers sing in tune all the time? <laughs> yeah. They don't all breathe at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. Exactly. That's his. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get that kind of stuff happening. Right. What about you, uh, Anna and Anastasia? Very good question. <laughs> it's all a struggle. It's all it's a struggle. All, it's all yeah. a struggle. Part, yeah. <laughs> the workflow is developing as we move. Mm. I mean, not barely, so, I would say. Barely, barely. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's usually fighting. With I, I go. Yeah. That's the biggest challenge. Like, I've, I've come to the conclusion that, um, I mean, it's an obvious one, but there's no perfect da. So what happens is that I go through three different DAWs within my week. So, okay, today it's regular movies, Pro Tools today, Immersive, Nuendo, Reaper. And um, you just jump around and in the beginning was horrible, but now I actually really like it. Like, okay, today I'm using Nuendo. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. I kind of transferred all my shortcuts so that I don't go too crazy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that was actually that ended up being the easier uh, path than trying to do everything with Pro Tools, which is not meant to be uh, for game assets and exporting uh, 200 different little audio clips. Then I just jump over to the other one. But as far as movie goes, uh, like regular linear movies, Pro Tools is, is awesome. So I just go back to Pro Tools. That's That's how my days go. So that's the biggest challenge for sure like adapting to the technology and the different workflows. Do you agree with that, Anastasia? I, I mean, I would say, yeah, like it's, it's a, a rare luxury when, you know, when you have like enough time of everything just working together where you can think about the creative stuff. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's usually just solving technical problems of things getting deprecated and not working, you know, kind of like living on a hairy bleeding edge of stuff <laughs> for years. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's getting better. Yeah. Yeah, And especially coming from movies where you have your workflow, like I come from traditional movies. Okay. You get the picture lock. Now you get the AAF from the editor. Yay. I can start my day. And now it's like, okay, VR, even if you just say VR, that does not describe what your project is. Like, are you doing a 360 degree video, which isn't VR actually, it's just a video that you can look around and you happen to be using VR glasses, but it's not actually VR and that's a workflow. And then, okay, is it going to be a interactive VR experience where I'm dealing with a game engine and actually dealing with sound assets? Like it changes all the time. And also like when exporting like the format that you export in the end, it's not just like click a button and then yay higher order ambisonics and first order ambisonics okay now you have a headlocked track which means like just stereo that goes along with things that are rotating you also have an additional track for like music you don't want music to be the whole time rotating with your dialogue or something so that kept changing every six months and that was really bad the first year two years to actually know what is the format that you're going to export it to i guess just um finally um i'd love to know are there any particular trends you're seeing each of you in immersive audio across the music and entertainment industry now or that you might think could happen in the future or the not so distant future probably most likely i just like the fact that it's coming to the forefront that it seems to be on everybody's radar Mm -hmm. So whether it's, you know, a positive thing or a negative thing for, for that particular person, at least people are talking about it. And, you know, the more people talk about it, the more it's going to stick around. So, you know, hopefully the consumer stuff catches up fairly quickly, which it looks like it is. Mm. So, I'd like to be able to, you know, to get this out to more people. It's so much fun to, to do. And it's so much mm. fun to listen to. Mm. Also. I would say like, consu- like these things, uh, you know, they're, their AirPods Pro, AirPods Max that do head tracking, like that's, you know, to, because to me, like spatial audio, like it has to react to your head, you know, movement because otherwise it's just nice. You know, it's nice, but you're still not getting that. You're not, you're not getting that full effect. So these already will render anything Dolby basically correctly. I mean, I've heard it. 
Um, so I think that that's basically is getting people to to experience it and to realize what, what special audio sounds like. I guess in that respect, it's a case of the technology, the consumer available technology having to catch up a little bit with the, the spatial audio and the object-based formats. And I'm sure that will, like you say, Steve, everyone's jumping on board with it now. So I'm, I'm sure in the next few years, we'll see a lot more developments in the space, um, which is going to be really exciting, of course. Yeah, that we're ahead of, the, this is the first time where, where the creators have been ahead of the consumers that I can see. So mm-hmm. it's not, it's not the, the consumer manufacturers going, hey, we have this great toy. Now you guys figure out how to use it. It's us saying, okay, here's the music we're mixing and the video games we're doing, the movies we're doing or whatever. You figure out how to play it back right. <laughs> so yeah. I, I like it being driven that way, the content driving the technology. Yeah, it's kind of the way it should be, yeah. right? Yeah. Absolutely, agreed. Um, okay, I think that's a great note to end on, actually. Sounds very positive, optimistic for the future. Um, it's really exciting to hear what all of you are doing in the world of immersive. So thank you so much for joining us today to talk about that. And we look forward to see what you come up with next in terms of what you're working on with immersive and just what the future holds for all of that. So thank you, everyone. Pleasure. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.